0: This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Indus, number one in its field.
1: The ranks of Australia's female jockeys has grown considerably in recent years and it's not uncommon to see the girls making up half the field on occasions. In the season just concluded, Linda Meach won the Victorian Jockeys Premiership with 139 winners while Raquel Clark scooped the pool at the recent South Australian Industry Awards night, collecting awards in six categories. South Australia is the state where very high standards have been set by some outstanding female writers. None more successful than Claire Lindop, who bowed out after the Adelaide Cup Carnival of 2018. Claire left an indelible mark with a career tally of 1,432 wins, four at Group 1 level and more than 50 black-type races. She was the first Australian female jockey to ride in the Melbourne Cup. She was the first female to win the historic Victoria Derby, just two of many distinctions she achieved. Talent, fitness and fierce determination – are the attributes that kept Claire Lindop at the very top for two decades. Let's see how she's feeling about life after racing. Claire, it's a delight to welcome you to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Mr. Tapp. And what a wonderful introduction. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Claire. <laughs> Tell me, have you missed the roar of the crowd and the rush of adrenaline?
0: Oh, look, absolutely. I think um Oh, there's so many things in racing that you miss and that you love. Um, you know, probably a big one is actually probably my working relationship, my everyday working relationship with Leon McDonald and Andrew Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, the thrill of riding a winner and the joy it brings to owners, there's, no, there's nothing quite like that. And, you know, you do get a, a, a sense of satisfaction from working with an animal, like a raw animal. And, uh, you know, and you, when you become in sync with that animal and you've, you you've, you've Worked with all the way through, and, and you actually communicate on a different level. Uh, yeah, and it does feel like you become one with the horse, and um, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing feeling. So there's so many things in racing that you love, but I think it's very easy, of course, to forget about all of the uh, the hard parts in hindsight. Like you always think, oh, you know, the, uh, coming to spring carnival always makes me miss it for sure. But you forget about uh, the you know the early mornings and riding the young horses, which for the many track work falls and. Um, you know, the times you get sprayed by the owners or on social media and um, things don't work out and the disappointments and the heartbreaking of of the industry. So I do reflect back and, and, you know, think of all the good things and think, gosh, maybe I did hang up the boots too soon. But I think I'm pretty happy with where I am at the moment.
1: Now, Claire, the first thing we've got to fix before we go any further, you've got to call me John and not Mr. (laughs) Tom. Okay. No worries. I've got a couple of reliable spies in South Australia, and reports have been filtering back to me that Claire Lindop has been seen riding horses on Gulwa Beach.
0: <laughs> you have got some interesting spies. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've—I uh, think one of the things I, I've, I've probably spent about six months not riding and um, really walked away from the industry, mm. um, had a bit of break. But you do miss. Just even the smell of horses. I think if anyone the horse people know, when you walk back into a stable and you've been out injured for a little while, and just take a deep breath, and you're like, oh, you know, it feels like home. Um, and so, actually, my husband Damien Wilton is uh, best friends with David Jolly, who trains out at Goolwa. Mm. and um, he suggested we want to come down and ride on the beach. So, um, which is actually really lovely. Goolwa Beach is um, it's an amazing, uh, you know, natural. Facility there that they're able to use. Um, and it's really, really wide spans of beaches. I mean, they even drive the four drives along there for, uh, for fishing and, and, and recreation. And uh, there's an area there, we're not allowed to use the dunes, obviously, but um, there's a really beautiful flat stretch of beach for a couple of kilometres, really, that we can ride the horses on. And um, I've been going down about once a week, um, yeah, and just riding three or four and, and, and just doing it for the actual love of riding the horse again, which is sometimes when it becomes your career or your job, um, you kind of forget that original. I shouldn't. Yeah,
1: but have you been letting them stride along a bit and stretch their legs? Absolutely, <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah, no. Um, well, we do whatever is required. Normally, it's a bit of just um pace work, and the beach can sometimes dictate that. Um, David has some uh, certain areas where he's marked out so you can sort of judge a furlong, um, and he will try and ask you to you know improve and give a bit of a, a blowout of the sort of 400 meters, but mm-hmm. it does depend on the beach sometimes. Um, there can be some, uh, like, divots or drains from where the tyre's gone out again. So you have to be judged a little bit on the surface at the time. But um, the horses enjoy, I think, getting over the track and having a bit of a um, walk in the water as well.
1: Now, Claire, to feel a half tonne of thoroughbred surging powerfully beneath you on Goulwa Beach hasn't triggered thoughts of a comeback, has it? (laughs)
0: Oh, uh, no, no, not at all. I think um, when you've walked away for over 12 months, I think it's very hard to get back into. Um, And I think, you know, where I am at the moment, I think the reality of um, the work I was doing to maintain my body to be as fit, as riding as I was towards the end, it was just Mm -hmm. taking its toll mentally as well. Mm -hmm. I just started to have enough and and the thought of having to – the travelling also can be quite hard on the body. So um, in South Australia, obviously our main track is more but you know, every other track's an hour away, up to traveling three or four hours regularly, or in five hours to Mount Gambia. Um, mm. And it just starts to, um, even sitting in the car was, was really bad on the back, etc. And yeah. it's hard to have, to have a chance to recover. And if you don't do the country circuit, um, as I discovered, you soon start getting forgotten about. And you certainly can't be a part time jockey at the top level. So um, I just decided to bow out without. Um, the industry sort of forcing me out, I suppose.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In your time, the decision was completely yours.
0: That's right, yeah. I think too where I am now, um, I wouldn't like to be, I'm doing some extra um, learning. I'm going back to TAFE. Um, as you mentioned, I've been doing heaps of other things and I think doing it now and I'm still young enough to have a second career perhaps, yeah. um, I think it's a smart move. I wouldn't like to be in my 50s trying to um. Uh, you know, go back to school again, etc. So, mm. yeah, I'm looking to set, set myself up for the rest of my life now.
1: I seem to yeah. recall a report uh, that I saw not long after your retirement that you were contemplating uh, an involvement in local government.
0: Well, I did get elected into local council. I'm a elected councillor on the Holdfast Bay Council uh, in South Australia, which is uh, the Glenelg area, if you know yep. Morfettville at all. It's just down the road, um, either beach suburbs, but even Brighton. And it's been a massive learning curve, um, a, new, a new path of personal development, um, and I'm looking to get better qualified and not quite sure where I'm going with all of my um, my new networks that I'm forming, but you never know.
1: You've always been very generous with your time when it comes to a worthy charity, and I imagine you're busier than ever with charity these days, but you have had an involvement with Little Heroes, uh, which raises funds for sick children and their families, Uh, the wonderful Variety Club of Australia, No Better Charity, the Anva Foundation, the National Jockeys Trust and the McGrath Foundation.
0: Yes, I've done a few bits and pieces over the years. I think racing, for me, um, I've been fortunate enough that it has given me a profile Um, within racing in particular, and I've often been asked to um, speak at different functions, um, uh, Carbine Club being one of them, and uh, all sorts of different interviews with different clubs and um, fundraising days, Uh, and I've always usually tried to embrace these opportunities, and I am probably – Like I said, I'm still heavily involved with Little Heroes Foundation. Um, They're my number one charity. I think they're fantastic. Um, What they do for for sick children is fantastic. It's not just... um, I think, too, I've seen what they do, very local charities. So if you have a family who have got one sick child, the siblings can sometimes get forgotten about, and Little Heroes actually make sure that they're not forgotten about I include them in any of their functions, um, which I think is really lovely. And just a little everyday things like parking. When you're taking a sick child every day to hospital, um, they, they have car park parking available, they do food vouchers, accommodation for people from the country. Yeah, it's really just day-to-day small things. It's, you know, there's heaps of good charities, obviously, out there um, for sick children. Them, but I do like the fact that it's a local charity, just helping out the immediate needs of, of um, families when they're all of a sudden, you know, a family might be, um, you know, become one of the parents have to leave work, so that yeah. makes you know pressure on a family. So that's a so Little Heroes can step in and just um, provide that bit of assistance, which is mm. such a great charity.
1: Now, you've already mentioned your husband of two and a half years, Damien Wilton. And uh, Damien is well-versed in racing as a form analyst for the McAvoy Stable and a jockey manager. So, racing is still very much in your life. You can't escape it.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, Damien and I, uh, we started, we combined after I had uh, some time off in 2014 due to injury, when I was making my comeback, um, I decided to engage a, a, a racing manager. I'd never had one before that. And... You know, in hindsight, I wish I had have engaged Damien Wilton services earlier. He's very professional in what he does. he's, he's um got a, a brain like a computer, the way he can memorise horses in their form. And when I came back from um, being out for so long to come back and win the Premiership in 2015 together, um, and very convincingly, we even had a... Um, it's a holiday together. In, we took a month off and went overseas for a friend's wedding in Ireland. Mm. Um, yeah, and so to, to do that together was um, pretty special after when you've been out for a little while. So that was my third premiership and um, second John Lentz medal.
1: The Claire Lindop story <laughs> began at the St Mary's Pony Farm at a place called Wan Goom near Warrnambool. You had a pony called Annie. <laughs> what yep. were her strong points?
0: Oh, she was a ripper. She could jump like you wouldn't believe. You could jump like a um, oh, just jump like a bird, as they as the saying is. Mm. And she really carried me around. Um, I didn't learn to ride till I was ten. So, and I don't come from a racing family at all, or a horse family at all. So I guess I was, you know, I, we joked that I was a black sheep of the family. Um, you know, I've got two older sisters who've both gone on to, um, you know, university degrees, and um, have got very good jobs. Um. And both my mum and dad were teachers, so when I left school to become an apprentice jockey, uh, it was a bit of a, a shock. But yeah, the pony farm where I learned to ride, so fortunate to have grown up in an area where there was that kind of upbringing. Um, it, it, you know, I could ride any horse from a Little Shetland to a, a Big Clydesdale and I uh, got to know all sorts of different horse traits. And Johnny Lee, who was the owner of the pony farm, like he was a real Irish horseman and um, I loved the way he taught me, um, you know, all sorts of different things, which, you know, I look around today and there's not an opportunity for children, I don't think, to learn to ride like I did. I was very lucky, very fortunate.
1: Just to summarise your very early and formative years, you signed up as an apprentice jockey in 1994. Your first master was Frank Byrne. Uh, Your first race ride was 24 years ago, Claire, on (laughs) Arctic Mittens at Warrnambool, unplaced. First yep. winner came five months later at a place called Dunkeld. Horse's name, Opinions Differ, for the late Jack Barling and that was the horse's only win in seven starts. Then the big one, your first city winner, July 1996, was Mon Dillaby at Mooney Valley for your old boss, Frank Byrne. You'd have been 10 feet tall that day. <laughs>
0: Yeah, she was a ripper um, on Dillaby. She was by the pug and loved the wet. And um, You know, as, as the sort of saying goes, you get a grey horse in the wet. And, you know, I was claiming three at Mooney Valley and um, it was a big thrill to ride a, a winner at Mooney Valley, absolutely, uh, and, so, and quite early in my career, as you mentioned. So mm-hmm. I had great support. Um, Frank Byrne was the terrific boss. He was leading trainer in, of Warrnambool at the time. Um, I stayed with him for two years before I moved on to Jack Barlings at Hamilton, and, um, for another couple of years there but look the Warrnambool um, district is very strong in racing and like I said having my first race ride at the carnival was was a big thrill um big crowd and it was a complete blur my first ever ride but um you know it's funny how you look back now and you think gosh I don't know how I've got a ride I was too would have been tiny and um very inexperienced but um you know I had some great great mentors of the area as well, Nifty Wilson, um, Alan Peterson, Billy Nolan, um, yeah, and so there's also there were some great uh, female riders riding at that time as well. I got to sort of uh, ride with Marie Payne and Therese Payne and, mm. uh, you know, tried to follow in their footsteps.
1: Yeah, well, you certainly did that. July 1999, Claire Lindop, you made the big move to Morfortville to complete your apprenticeship with a man called Basil Kosumanis. Uh, you took off in Adelaide, Claire. You outrode your country claim very quickly.
0: Uh, yes, Moorfordville um, was um, quite, seemed to be the, the right option for a female at that time. Um, I really wanted to go somewhere and, and use my metropolitan claim. I still claimed three. Um, and Melbourne at the time, I just felt it was a little bit tough to get opportunities in. Mm. So coming to Moorfordville and also riding in country Victoria, I had ridden the South Australian border, I'd always ridden at Mount Gambier, Panola, Narra Court, and had some connections in Adelaide. Mm. Um, so it seemed like a natural move. Um, and, yeah, Byron Cosimanis and his wife, Sue, they were fantastic to me. Mm. Again, very supportive. And um, they were they had a very strong country stable. He's a Port Lincoln uh, man. He actually trained some for Tony Santic as well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we, we won the premiership in Port Lincoln um, three years running and um, – the country, country circuit are all quite strong. Um, and I did write a few city winners for him as well. Mm.
1: It's very fitting that your first Metropolitan winner in Adelaide, while still an apprentice, was for a female trainer, uh, Jenny Gow White, horse called Odysseus.
0: That's right. Yeah, Jenny, go well, out. Um, well, the connection actually came from friends in Castleton, actually. Um, and it's funny how, you know, racing, um, you know, it's really always about networking and, and and people knowing people and recommending you. That's why I sort of try and steal on some of the young girls I mentored today about, um, you know, being good to everyone that you work for. Uh, so a trainer in uh, Castleton, Sheila Gorman, who I rode for every now and then, mm. uh, recommended me to Jenny because they went to. Um, uh, boarding school together so yeah. uh, jenny put me on and uh, Dizzy was, was and went on to race he was a terrific race he went on to race he was 12 years old mm. um, you know i think i retired before he did <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: odysseus <laughs> Quite, but yeah. yeah so
0: it was a very big win at cheltenham and um, it was a thrill absolutely
1: well cheltenham's gone now and so has victoria park where you rode your first metropolitan winner as a fully fledged jockey that was in January of two thousand and one on one of your all-time favourite horses. I know you speak of him with great affection. Star of Brooklyn. You won <laughs> ten races on the star.
0: Yeah, he was a he was a uh, lovely horse. Again, trained out of country, Victoria, mm-hmm. Um And I used to always, even when I was um, moved to Adelaide, I used to always try and get back to the country circuit. And I'm not sure if you're going to touch on this, but um, when I finished my apprenticeship. Um, I only rode one city winner um, for the next twelve months out of my apprenticeship, mm. and I really struggled to get opportunities in the city. But rather than um, you know, sit around and um, uh, rest of my laurels, so to speak, I, you know, had will travel, and I used to get back to the country meetings. Um, and Casterton was one of them, uh, and used to ride a lot for Joey, you know, the great family, Joey and Celia Smith, and um. Mm. Yeah, he was a he was a great horse, star of Brooklyn, um, and he was actually gave me my my only city winner out of my, my apprenticeship at, mm. at Victoria Park. Um, my, uh, yeah, first fresh out of my apprenticeship. Now
1: here is a date that'll ring a bell: 24th of May 2003. A very big day in the life of young Claire Lindop. Your first black type win, the listed South Australian St Ledger at Victoria Park on a horse called Deben, and this was the start of your wonderful association with Leon MacDonald.
0: Yes, that's, yeah, that's right. Um, I got the ride on Deben because she had a lightweight, mm. um, and Leon's generally stable rider uh, at the time was Jason Holder. He didn't ride much uh, lighter than sort of 52, mm. and I was able to pick up the ride on Deben. and as you said, this was probably going to change the course of my life and career in the next few months. Mm.
1: Certainly did. Because Deben went on to the Melbourne Cup, rider C Lindop, the first Australian female jockey to ride in the Great Race.
0: Yeah, it was a, it really was a life changing and career changing um, week for me. It was a dream come true. Obviously, as a as a jockey, anyone wants to be part of the Melbourne Cup, and you grow up, even even not from a racing family, you know, you always watch the Melbourne Cup. This is the Melbourne Cup at, at primary school. I remember um, sitting around in the uh, uh, the assembly area, and they'd have the race played on the um the loud PA system, and everyone would have had their horse and put in a sweep, and everyone was cheering for it, and it was just really, uh, like it was dream come true. Stuff you watch on the on the TV when the when the jockeys are being introduced, and to actually be part of that occasion was mm. uh, mind blowing, and mm. I was really excited because I gen- genuinely thought that um, Devin could run top ten. Yep. It wasn't to be; um, she ran eighteenth. But the whole experience in the day was just amazing. Uh, I remember walking up on the stage for the jockey's presentation, uh, standing with Stephen Baster. He was number 23 and I was number 22. And yeah. everyone's away walking on the stage and, and waving. You know, Frankie Dettori, Shane Dyer, Jim Cassidy, mm-hmm. Damien Oliver, all the best jockeys that you've been on watched and, and you know, have been the legends of your industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to walk up amongst them and, and wave to the crowd, it was really, um, yeah, that was pretty special.
1: An unforgettable experience. Yeah, say, just didn't want to stuff
0: up. You, could, <laughs> thought, you couldn't pay for up. it, could you? <laughs> no, no, yeah. <laughs> and to think that, I mean, that and that changed my career, as I said, like I went on that season and rode. Um, I don't know whether it's, it was a bit of both. I had the confidence and the exposure and, um, you know, yeah. it, Leon obviously um, was able to give me some more opportunities that year, although I wasn't necessarily yeah. a stable rider then, uh, and went on and rode 113 winners, which, as you said, it was only just um, been yeah. broken uh, this recently by Linda Meach and, and Jamie Carr.
1: Mm. Yeah. We're going yeah. to pause briefly for a break on the podcast. We'll be back in just a moment or two with Claire Lindoff. A catalogue of almost 200 horses will be offered for sale at the final English auction of the year, the 2019 Ready to Race sale at Riverside Stables on Tuesday, October 22nd. All horses are two-year-olds, broken in and prepared by experienced horse people and presented for sale literally ready to race. Each horse will undertake a breeze up session which is a gallop ending in a 200 metre sprint. Each breeze up will be recorded which will enable prospective buyers to get a gauge on a horse's action, size and potential ability. There'll be an additional Breeze Up session this year at Eagle Farm in Brisbane on Monday, September the 23rd, and other sessions will be held at Cranbourne, September the 13th, Warwick Farm, September 20th, Taupo in New Zealand, September the 23rd, with a second session at Warwick Farm on Friday, October the 18th. The strength and quality of the English Ready to Race sale catalog is unparalleled in Australasia. Special guest is former top South Australian jockey Claire Lindop. Now, this is where I embarrass you. Leon told me that he's never known a jockey with a better work ethic than you. He said <laughs> s- he said it took extreme circumstances for you to miss a morning at track work. Yeah, well,
0: I took a, I took a lot of pride in that, um, and I did have to work hard, and I think that's why I. Um, Got the chances from Leon that I did, and he was stuck by me and, and quite loyal with me as well. Um, but yeah, I also also th- felt that I had to um, to ride work, uh, particularly early on in my career, to to get the race rides. Um, and you know, I never took the um, I never accepted the fact that you know you couldn't get a ride because you were a girl, and so I thought I had to prove um, to everyone that. You know, I was going to be a strong worker. I was suitable for the horse. Um, I was going to be reliable and honest and a hard worker, and, and that's the reputation I, you know, did have pride in pride myself on. And, and, yeah, but Leon made it easy. Um, riding, riding for Leon too, I really felt like he was a mentor, and he actually really did mould me into the rider that he wanted as well mm-hmm. um, in the stable, and so we had, did have that good partnership. And there's not many um, trainer jockey partnerships that, have, that have, have been like that over the years. I think, you know, maybe – one of the things that oh, perhaps you always think um, in hindsight or, you know, sliding doors moments, perhaps I should have done a little bit more diversifying for other trainers as well. Mm. Um, and you, But you don't know that. And I, I think that the way that he supported me throughout the years, I think I've had a, had a pretty good, good run of luck.
1: Well, it was around this time you did something pretty special. You rode four winners at three consecutive race meetings. That's pretty yeah. special.
0: Yeah, the hat trick. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, it, it was. Uh, one of them was Metropolitan too at Victoria Park, which actually was my favourite um, metropolitan race course, to be honest. I love Victoria Park. Mm. Yeah, a bit of a shame. And there is still some rumours that we might get a track happening back there, but it would take a, a pretty large investor. It is a bit – I do think South Australian racing is a little bit um, poorer for only having – one race course even though we have the two tracks there. I do think having that another option is way to go. But yeah, the the trick of three was pretty cool. One was at Muldura, one was um at Victoria Park and the other was at Port Lincoln. So it was it was really cool. Yeah.
1: Your first Flemington winner was pretty special. February two thousand and four horse was called Prince Regal, trained by Jamie Opperman.
0: That's right. Yeah, um, he was another great horse, a trained out of Jamie Upcott's great trainer out of Mount Gambier. Um, I got the chance to go and ride him, and uh, he was went down the straight, and he was a lovely big type of horse, and um, he was just on song that day. Jamie had him trained perfectly well, and it was great to be that they took me over and gave me the chance, and and you know I was able to come up come up with a win.
1: Not surprisingly, it was Leon McDonald who provided your first. Uh, group win and that is it was at group three level, a race called the Auraria Stakes at Cheltenham. A horse called Beltar.
0: Dane Beltar, yeah. Mm. She was yeah, she was um she she was owned by the same owners as Deban. Uh, and so I was able to get a chance to ride her as well, which was which was fantastic. She was she went on to compete in the Oaks uh, in the spring, so it was lovely to get a chance to ride her when she was in, in Adelaide.
1: Mm. You made your mark on Adelaide Metropolitan Jockeys' Premierships. You won three of them, uh, two thousand four, two thousand five. Uh, I think was was that your best year? O four, O five.
0: Yes, that was my best year, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 2015, when I combined it with Damien, we had the most city winners. Yeah. 2004 05, I wrote I the most winners everywhere. And I've also won the provincial uh, premiership, a bit like what um, Raquel just did with the clean sweep. But that was a good year. That was actually the year that Cathy O'Hara won the premiership in, um, in uh, New South Wales as well. So, mm. so, And Lisa Cropp won it in New Zealand. So it was a real bit of a turning of the tide, I felt, at that time. Mm. Yeah.
1: I'm sure you're aware you finished in the top five jockeys on the Adelaide Premiership 13
0: times. (laughs) Thank you for doing all the stats, John. That's fantastic. You were in
1: the top five 13 times. I'm talking about Metro, Adelaide.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, being consistent, like I said, and, and, and being able to uh, stick at it and be at that top level for so long, it's not always easy, especially with injuries throughout the years and, um, you know, suspensions and things going wrong. So, it is something I'm proud to, to be able to look back and go, you know, I, I was consistent, I was hardworking and I was loyal and, um, you know, and that did, I was, I am fortunate enough to have always worked with people who rewarded that as well. They've, they've actually recognised yeah. that and rewarded that. So, that's kind of, it's been something I uh, have pride of myself on. And, and like you said, it's not. It's very easy to be an apprentice who, um, you know, hits the highlights, but to be able to do it week in, week out, uh, week out for oh, yeah. uh, a long time, it's not always easy. So mm. I'm proud to be able to look back and uh, have achieved that.
1: Now, what about this one? Your first Group 1, the 2006 Adelaide Cup in your hometown, or it was at that stage <laughs> of your life. Yeah on Exalted Time, <clears throat> trained by Jim Smith. I think you led all the way, Claire.
0: I did, Exalted Time. It's still one of um, my, my favourite memories. I mean, there's so many, but the Adelaide Cup in particular um, was a race that obviously, like I said, my doctored hometown. you know, I only had a couple of rides in the race. It was highly competitive. A lot of interstate horses would come, and they still do, come and, and try and raid up a big cup. Um, and I genuinely thought... Um time, had raced really well in the lead up to it um, and to get the ride in the race. Uh, and we'd spoken about tactics and the owners were a little bit nervous about leading because, um, you know, I think it's, it's a quite a tough t- to lead for 3,200 metres, obviously. Um, but I was pretty confident that we could actually lead and get away with some cheap sectionals because no-one would really want to take it on, um, take it up to me early. So... And that's exactly what happened. Um, and you know, pulling off a plan like that was—it's it's pretty exciting because uh, we were leading the first time past the winning post. Um, and I was able to give him a breather down the back, and and when I took out and and the field were following me to come out a bit wide. The track was off on the inside that day, um, mm. and I was still in front of the four hundred. I thought to myself, "I've actually got this," and mm. and he really. He was a beautiful horse and he just tried his heart out for me that day and Mm. um, it was a very special moment and, uh, yeah, we thank Jimmy and and Ken and Helen Smith for being part of that. Uh, It was fantastic.
1: When you turned for home, I bet that winning post looked a long way away.
0: (laughs) It did. It absolutely did. And the crowd was roaring and I was assuming it was because there was, you know, all these challenges coming at me. So Mm. I was just, you know, basically held my breath um, all the way in the post. Absolutely, yeah.
1: I think jockeys overall would rather not look around, uh, yeah. You know because the, the, they're often criticised for doing that. Uh, but I agree. by crikey, it's a temptation, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think sometimes it's nice to have a little like peep over your shoulder, but generally speaking, you really don't want to throw your rhythm out. Mm. Uh, and sometimes, if you if you look around, you know you're not concentrating on on going forward. Um, yeah, and yeah. so that's what I was always taught to to keep looking between their ears and and, and keep concentrating about holding your line and holding your form. If you start, uh, you know, turning your head or losing a little bit of your compactness on their back, it can affect the horse's stride as well. So you have to be careful the way you do it. And I was always taught not to look. Um, so, yeah, I think people, other people have different um, styles, but I was always taught not to look and to just keep going, ride right through the line.
1: Yeah. 2007, you had your second ride in the Melbourne Cup on a pretty good horse called Dolphin Joe, trained by Terry and Karina O'Sullivan. You only got beaten 4.4 lengths behind Efficient. Was a really good run, and you won a Group Two on the same horse later on. He finished up winning nearly seven hundred thousand. You know, Dolphin Joe.
0: Dolphin is a real favourite of Terry and Karina Sullivan's. I think Karina still got Dolphin Joe in a paddock when he retired. Mm. He's still going pretty strong. Um, I was so fortunate that year to pick up the ride on Dolphin Joe. He he was going really well, and he had a lightweight, so there wasn't a lot of um, jockeys that. Could ride the weight that were available. Mm. Um, And I've always had a great relationship with Terry and Karina O'Sullivan. I've had many winners for them over the years, and to to get the opportunity to ride for them was fantastic. And um, every time I've ridden the Melbourne Cup, it's been a different experience. And that was a year I genuinely thought that he could. Um, run an outstanding race, and and he did. He was um, coming into the home turn. I actually thought that, oh my gosh, I'm going to run a place in the Melbourne Cup, and we, we just yeah. tied a little bit. Um, last furlong, but probably more. He was just always run paced, um, rather than finding a sprint like some of the better horses, perhaps on the day, mm. sprinted past him. But yeah, it's being part of that 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 event, that, and having to um, that year, I got to go on the parade as well. I hadn't done the parade the day before. Um, but on the feel of riding mil- a Dolphin John in the Melbourne Cup was a lot more serious and um, yeah, I was pretty pretty happy to, to to weigh in and salute the judge of the Melbourne Cup. Mm.
1: One of your all-time favourites was a very smart filly called Augusta Proud. You rode her in 24 of her 28 starts for Leon McDonald. She won her first six straight, culminating in the Magic Millions two-year-old classic.
0: That was such an exciting time. She was an exciting filly, the way she raced with her, was she had explosive speed out of the gates. Um, and to, to be able to jump and cross a field from wide gates was something she was known for in Adelaide. And heading up to Queensland for the Magic Millions, um, you know, we were a little bit uncertain how the form was going to line up and travelling the, the different direction. Uh, and it was a real challenge, actually, because um, we weren't really sure what was going to happen up there and people were criticizing the fact that you know she hadn't beaten a lot um but we were so confident in, in the way she felt and and you know i was Sometimes you can be a bit of a. Um, when you come from South Australia, people underrate you, I think. Which is, uh, I think people foolishly do that sometimes. Mm. Uh, and so she, when she drew barrier two the barrier draw, Leon and I were like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And um, and she bounced, and just the first time she'd ever been crossed in a race. Um, as you said, she'd she'd had this uh, five starts in South Australia, but had um, always led. And she she was boxed in on the fence. Um. And I'll never forget, I got through on the inside and got up inside of Nashua Wheeler on the line and um, he was riding the favourites for Gay yeah. and it just nosed him out right on the line. And his credit looked over and said, good on you, girl. Did and he, that was, uh, really. yeah, it was really nice actually because he, he obviously knew that I, the horse had just won the race and the better horse on the day one. And mm. it was a big thrill actually to, to go and, uh, like I said, to actually go interstate with the horse and pull off um, a, a big race win. It's, it's not always easy. A lot of the times you come home with your tail between your legs. So you've got to mm. celebrate the wins when you get them.
1: Oh, yeah. She ran in Sebring's Golden Slipper and finished officially ninth, but she wasn't all that far from the winner.
0: Yeah, she probably had enough going into the slipper, but I think it's really hard to not not give it a try. And we we tried to keep her up for it and as much as we could. She mm-hmm. still ran a game race, um, but the wet track that day probably didn't suit her either. So, yeah. but to be able to say we've competed in the Golden Slipper is is um, um yeah, I'm so happy to have, to have set off okay. to ridden that race. It's such an exciting race. Yeah.
1: Well, later in 2008, Rebel Raider suddenly appeared. He won two two two-year-old races, including the South Australian Sires Produce. He came to Sydney, failed in the Champagne Stakes, not all that far from the winner, however. Then he had a blow. He came back. He had three runs at home. He went to Melbourne. He ran third in the Geelong three-year-old classic. And then out he went for the Victoria Derby in the white and black stripes with C. Lindop on board at odds of $101. What a day. What a day. (laughs) And no girl had ever ridden a Victoria Derby winner.
0: Yeah, what a thrill. Um, Just like I said, you know, we're talking about the highlights, and it's so easy to see and go, oh, gosh, I miss riding and and being part of those big carnivals and those big plans. And, um, you know, that plan to to the Derby had been, you know, 12 months in the making. Um, A lot of work goes into those big races and, He'd run through thirties, he said, in the Geelong Derby Classic. And I came into Leon and said, something's just not quite – we've just not quite got this horse right. I know that there's more there. Mm. So Leon put Blinkers on going into the Derby, which is a big, big gutsy move to do, put Blinkers on a horse stepping up in distance. Mm. Um, but he was – obviously, he was a colt, and so we really wanted just to have him focus on um, his job at the time. And it made the world of difference. He, he actually drew the outside gate. Um, but we had enough pace to be able to get across. And by the winning post the first time, uh, we managed to slot in. And uh, Dwayne Dunn had drawn barrier three on uh, another um, South Australian runner. Actually, Greg with Greg Dwayne glanced over him and said, how'd you get here, Jock? It's <laughs> <Just laughs> a bit of a nice moment yeah. Um, yeah, as we're just heading down the riverside. Mm. Uh, yeah, and he, um, we really believed that he was a genuine strayer and, um, you know, we, we had, the plan was to actually be out and going and, and make the favourite chase us and, and try and make it as true staying test. And I, we yeah. believed before the race that that was his best chance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we, to think that we didn't necessarily think that we could win the race, but I certainly thought we could give him a shake and, and finish top three. Um, and yeah, coming around the home turn, um, when I actually pushed out and gave Michael Rod a hip and shoulder and, and got out to the clear, I was going for home. That was the longest. That was the longest stretch oh, ever. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, hitting the line I actually let a little giggle and I thought, Oh my gosh, we've well, we just pulled it off, I've just won the derby and my legs went to jelly. I could hardly pull up actually. He was still so strong after the line, he was yeah, yeah he was a beautiful big horse.
1: Yeah, that was Mr. his Leeds. finest moment. He won yeah. the South Australian derby later, Claire, which wasn't quite as big a thrill as the Victoria, but it was pretty good.
0: Yeah, hometown Derby still nice and it was nice to win the two derbies in the year and he was going into um he was actually early favourite for the Melbourne Cup the next Year, so 2009, nine, but that was the year he actually sustained an injury. And um, he, though he did come back um, the following year and, and won the size first up, um, he won the size first up. Yeah, he, um, spring stakes, sorry, pardon spring me. Spring stakes, that's yeah, it, yeah. sorry, spring stakes, pardon me, um, first up. He never really came back 100%, and uh, they elected mm. to set him off to studs, So mm. I feel like, um, you know. You know, it's always easy to say this, but if you had had a chance to ride him at the Melbourne Cup, I would have loved to have um, given him a chance at at 3,200 metres at uh, Flemington. I think he would have loved it. Mm.
1: Well, three days after you won the derby, you had your third Melbourne Cup ride, a horse called Ties for none other than Bart Cummings
0: pinch myself when you say that. Right. He was uh, obviously Mark Cummings is a legend of racing and but have given me a few rides over the years actually. Um there was actually a horse I rode for me, the Geelong Cup called Dandad. Um mm. and he just got beat. I just ran second actually Nicolette followed me in and, and beat me in the run. And I you know a few times that it, you know could have been a might have been it could have been for Mr. Cummings and to mm. so actually combine with him in the Melbourne Cup for it turns out to be um his last win in the Melbourne Cup as well was, was such a special event and yes. I was very proud to ride for the Cummings Stables. He was um, – it's interesting enough, um, he's obviously also a big fan of Michelle Payne. Michelle Payne, rode her, her first um, big race winner for Bart Cummings as well and mm. it's just interesting, the, uh, the people that can move with the times and, and, and change, uh, you know, and, and, and keep their head above and be leaders in our industry – it's, they were one of the first trainers to embrace female jockeys, so it was, I just always thought that, that yeah, he knew how to um, get the best out of racing and his staff, and mm. um, to him to give you the chance in a big race like that was um, a real feather in the cap.
1: Mm. Yeah. Your fourth Group 1, 2011, a marvellous old race called the Goodwood Handicap, and you won for Robert Smerton on Lone Rock.
0: Yeah, the Goodwood is a is a great race, isn't it? It's a, I think Morpherville has a best twelve hundred metre start. It's a fantastic race, very very um, competitive. Uh, a lot of good horses come across um, for that race. Black Cavi obviously won it as well. Takeover Target race won it as well. So it's a it's a really prestigious race here in South Australia, and two of won a sprint race, I think um, the Group One yeah it was a big thrill a carnival's always something that as a local rider in Adelaide you're always trying to try to uh, shine in your own carnival and, and uh, hold up the South Australian flag when all the state riders come so it was a um, great tour to ride to ride that group one winner.
1: You reached another wonderful milestone in 2011 when you registered your 1,000th win. And it came up as a result of a double, Lalla Rook and Perfect Punch. I think Leon trained them both and you became the first woman since Bev Buckingham in Tasmania to achieve that mark.
0: A thousand winners, yeah. It, mm. and it happens all the time now. I think people write um, a thousand odd winners, but I think, especially back when I first started, there wasn't the amount of racing that there is now. Mm. Um, and I also got stuck on 999 for a little while as well. So, um, well, sorry, it be 998, wouldn't it? Wasn't it? Um, yeah. Bring up the double uh, for Leon. It was actually quite nice that um, it was for Leon and, and at Mortonville as well. So, it, it was a pretty cool thing. And it was a bit of a marketing. Um, uh, thing done by that team at Hill. so that was nice to sort of be part of that and try and give a good... I've always tried to do help racing with good stories and positive stories rather than um, often it can be not perceived that well, and so it was nice to sort of combine with the, with the positive story, and I do think that racing... Um, we don't celebrate the milestones, perhaps like other industries. Like, I always see the footballers celebrated for their, um, how many games they play, et cetera. And yeah. I think perhaps we should do a bit more of that in, South, in racing, full stop, and South Australia. We always try and do that and recognise the milestones. Yeah. Mile,
1: milestones, yep. Mm-hmm. You brought the curtain down on a wonderful career after the 2018 Adelaide Cup Carnival, and you went out with a bang. You rode three nice winners over that carnival.
0: I on which is lovely, yeah. I had a pretty quiet season, to be honest. Um, I was probably a little bit down, making, you know, sort of probably in, in my mind too, I was probably a little bit unclear about my future. Um, and I'd had a great year the season before and things hadn't gone that well um, that season. Um, and I'm not sure whether the decision in my mind to, to retire or not was um, – Affecting my career a little bit, but also to my writing a little bit. Um, so when I made the announcement, I was, I was certainly a lot happier within myself. Um, but then it also did affect some of my opportunities because um, you know trainers were thinking, "Oh, she's retiring." So, so I'm not sure whether um, jockeys don't always do a big retirement announcement. So I'm not sure whether um, it was the right move in hindsight. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, riding the Adelaide Carnival for Leon one last time, and actually knowing together it was going to be our last Carnival, was a little bit emotional, to be
1: honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you shed a tear before you went out for your last ride or after?
0: No, well, I didn't actually tell anyone when on my last ride was going to be. I sort of didn't do a big last race, like perhaps, um, you know, we just saw um, in Queensland they did that really well. Um, mm. But, I, you know, I'm not sure why I didn't want to do that, but I think because I didn't want to put – I already had a bit of pressure on myself because everyone was like, oh, it's yeah. the last ride, you know, and so I think perhaps I didn't. do that so well but definitely riding um the carnivals and i've got to say riding to kill the time and um and leon and i uh we actually um i do feel like leading all the way on those horses it's not as easy as it looks Mm -hmm. um and and to be able to do that to kill the time and get it right um for those couple of you know um last couple of times for him was something i'm pretty proud of yeah
1: You've seen dramatic changes in the lives of female jockeys in your 20-year involvement. Claire, there must have been times where you sat by yourself in fairly primitive lady jockeys oh, rooms in the old days.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's one of the biggest things. Um, it's, it's funny now when you hear the, yeah, the AFL industry talking about the need better women's change rooms and, and sport like that. And I think that racing doesn't do enough to, to paint itself in a, the better image that actually we've been equal for a long time now. And I remember working on female change rooms back in the 90s. So I feel like a lot of the rooms now are, you know, top-notch. And I've got to say even the, some of the country areas, the girls and the boys switch because the girls need more room, which I think is kind of um, kind of quite amusing. But, you know, there was some def- definitely some um, some interesting rooms over the years we started, but it wasn't so much the facilities um, that would bother me. Um, I just wanted to be equal with the guys. And one of the things that I noticed when I first started was that, Female jockeys, we always seem to be too far away. Mm. I mean, you go to way out or go to the mounting yard, and it was always a further walk than where the boys' rooms was yeah. located quite centrally. Um, even in um, at riding at Royal Randwick, you actually had to go through the public to get to the girls' room. Mm. So you had to go f- from the girls' room through the public into the mounting yard, into the scales room. And if you had forgotten something or if a trainer asked you for a different bit of gear, you had to run all the way back and back again. And mm. it actually makes you look unprofessional, which I used to really... Give them, that used to really bother me mm-hmm. and often you'd get you wouldn't get called out um someone you know generally speaking is a steward comes into the room and calls the boys out for um uh, to mount up yeah. and often we got forgotten about and that was one of the things that used to really upset me because, you know, I'm trying to be professional. If I'm not called out, it makes me, reflect badly on me. So that was one thing I worked really hard um, and I've always been outspoken um, in that sort of frame with yeah. um, the hierarchy in racing. It doesn't always get me a lot of friends now, um, but I used to always speak about that kind of thing and and so I'm pretty proud to be able to have to, to been um, instrumental in changing those type of things for quality yeah. and and that sort of thing, yeah.
1: So you were laid into the enclosure uh, on a few occasions through no fault of your own.
0: Yeah, I got forgotten to get called out for the for yeah. Caulfield Cup one year when I was running the Caulfield Cup. They didn't even call me out for the jockey's presentation. Yeah. I got forgotten about. I was absolutely livid. So, yeah. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that you, you put up with. It. And I will say that with racing um, – you know, my own colleagues and the jockeys I race against, um, they treated me as one of their own. Once you earn your stripes as a jockey, um, you're one of your own, and I've always felt fairly treated in that regard. What I think racing lacked was a little bit of um, fairness in the hierarchy and just the system being set up um, to be equal, which I think has been changed now, and I'm pretty proud of that. I mean, girls you never used to have cold drinks in their room or ice and that kind of thing, and that's all
1: yeah. been
0: know, change. Yep. Mm, absolutely, yeah.
1: Now, Claire, this is probably an unfair question, but in your twenty-year career as a professional jockey, did you have a favourite, male or female? Was there <laughs> one jockey for whom you had special admiration? Ooh. it's a tough um, one, an unfair yeah. one, really.
0: No, Marie Payne. Marie Payne. She was tough. She was a very strong rider. Uh, when I first started, I think it's. I think the riding styles have. Um, evolved over the years. When I first started, you were expected to be very strong with the whip, and I'm pleased now. I think that we have kinder styles, more hands and heel styles, and it's much better off for the industry full stop. But Marie Payne, uh, when I first started riding, she was a strong rider, and you couldn't pick her out to be sitting up like a female. You used to always be able to pick up a female in a race, and I didn't want to be picked out. I wanted to blend in, look like uh, like a blonde out there, and Marie Payne was a style that I tried to really Style on, you know, and I think about the females that I rode with when I first started. um You know, and obviously Marie and Trees be awfully proud of Michelle, but I just think if they had have got the opportunities that Michelle got, um you know, it, this history would have been different. So you do think the the opportunities that the girls that I rode against, if they had had the same opportunities, um you know, it, it, you just wonder what would have. What might have been, and mm. I think they're very proud, and I feel like um, you know every generation of female rider has um, just gone that one better. And I look at the girls riding now, and um, one of the big differences is their confidence. Um, and it is a confidence sport, any high performance sport where you're judged on each performance. Um, confidence does help, and to think that these girls are now riding without feeling like that they're going to get the drag, um, I think that's such a freeing way to ride, and that's why I actually do enjoy riding predominantly for one trainer, because when he knew had the loyalty, you had a bit more freedom to um, you know, you use your own judgment out there in the race rather than feeling like if you make a mistake, you know, you're gonna be hung out to dry. So that's one of the things I you know, I look at the industry now and I think, yeah, these girls have, have um got a great attitude. They're so confident, um, you know, and they're not worried about am I gonna get, you know, the drag off them and that's such a it's so nice to see that. And that's what I've always tried to push, that it's up to the individuals to be treated take on their merits.
1: Determination has always been the prime prerequisite for any budding female jockey. And those that lacked it didn't last. You lasted almost twenty-five years. Determination a determination was something Claire Lindop had by the truckload.
0: Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I do think that I think perseverance and, and sticking sticking it out, I think it's a big thing. And so you said dedication and um I think I never, I never allowed ex any, no, well, no excuses was was really a bit of my mantra. Like, don't use, don't blame anyone, don't don't have a chip on your shoulder about oh, I should have had this or why didn't I do that or why did that trainer not put me on? Uh, you know, you just move on and, and stay dedicated to yourself and, and your craft and and try and keep improving on your own style and your own self. Mm. To me, that was always um, what dedication means: dedicate yeah. to yourself. Mm.
1: You know, you've dropped your guard emotionally on a couple of occasions during our interview. Great journey. Job well done. Good health and good luck. And thanks for a truly magnificent contribution, not only to Australian racing, but to the cause of Australia's female jockeys.
0: Thank you very much. It's a privilege to be on.
1: And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. The stallion representation at the English Ready to Race Sale on October the 22nd is a who's who of the breeding industry. Better than Ready, Naconi, Brazen Bow, not a single doubt. Deep Field, Rubik, done deal and Shooting to Win, and we've just scratched the surface. Add to that. Hinch Brook, So You Think, Holy Roman Emperor, Spirit of Boom, I Am Invincible, Starcraft, Medaglia d'Oro, Tavistock, More Than Ready, Written Tycoon, No Nay Never, and Zoo Star. Inglis again team up with Racing New South Wales by presenting the sale three days after the Everest. The timing will ensure the attention of world buyers who'll be focused on Sydney at Everest time. October 22nd is the date for the English ready to race sail at Riverside.